0: Thank you for downloading and listening to sermons from First Baptist Narrows. We pray that this podcast would help you love Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God bless. I have so enjoyed our walk with Jesus for the last, how long has it been, 18 months? It's been a pretty good while, to say the least. We've walked with him all the way to Calvary and all the way to the grave and all the way to the resurrection and to the ascension. And uh, I don't know that we shouldn't continue to walk with the Holy Spirit through the acts of the apostles. But I really believe God would have me today depart from that long enough to preach a message that God has laid on my heart that is not easy to preach. The reason it's not easy to preach is because a a pastor friend of mine asked me a question a couple weeks ago. He said, how how do you like preaching now in the culture that we're in? My answer was, I'm enjoying preaching now more than any time in all of my preaching life. As you know, I started preaching at 13 years old, and on my next birthday, I'll be 72. That's uh, almost 60 years preaching, the pulpit, but i am enjoying preaching more now than ever before, and I believe that I'm preaching better sermons than I ever had before, and I wish my wireless were on. I feel a lot of folks on the back can't hear good. I believe that some, some sermons are more significant than others because they have the potential to change lives more than others. And with that, in all due respect, I believe I have preached more significant messages in the last year than I ever have before in my life. Because they have the potential to change lives. You understand how sermons work. Uh, Starting on Monday, I start praying and asking God to give me a message for the next Sunday. Because he knows who's going to be here. I don't. And the message that God lays on my heart is one of instruction. It's one of of biblical uh, foundations. I use Scripture for everything I I say to you. And and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching is kind of weird because I don't talk like this. You see me down at the post office, I'm not going to say, well, good morning, how are you doing today? (laughs) So when I step into the pulpit, it's kind of like something else takes over and I deliver that message that God is worked on me all week long and gave me the references and gave me the Scripture and gave me the thoughts, sometimes in the middle of the night, and I preach that to you, and it's a significant message because it has the potential to change lives. That's where my responsibility ends, and yours takes over. If you don't take these messages, meditate on them, think about them, and do what they challenge you to do, they have absolutely no effect on your life. You just wasted 30 minutes. I don't even preach for 30 minutes. It's 24 minutes till now, and I promise you I'll be through by noon. I've learned about people's attention spans, and so I know that I have kind of a Texas oil man mentality when it comes to preaching. If you haven't struck oil in 20 minutes, quit boring. But I want you to know it's not just my responsibility to create a worship service here in First Baptist Church. So today I'm going to depart according to the Holy Spirit and leave the the walking with Jesus or the the, uh, expository preaching verse by verse, and I'm going to preach on one subject that God has laid on my heart. And that subject is sin. It affects all of us. It affects our families. It affects our personal lives. There's an entire chapter in the Bible that deals with the subject of sin. And it deals so on the part of the Christian people and the sin in their lives. I want to read it to you, and then we want to talk about it. First, I want to read to you something that I found in a Moody Monthly magazine in my research. What is sin? You see... In our culture, we have dismantled a definition of sin. What is accepted as normal in our culture used to be called sin. Here's what the Moody Monthly says. Man calls it an accident. God calls it an abomination. Man calls it a blunder. God calls it blindness. Man calls it a defect. God calls it a disease. Man calls it a chance. God calls it a choice. Man calls it an error. God calls it enmity. Man calls it fascination. God calls it fatality. Man calls it an infirmity. God calls it an iniquity. Man calls it a luxury. God calls it leprosy. Man calls it a liberty. God calls it lawlessness. Man calls it a trifle. God calls it a tragedy. Man calls it a mistake. God calls it madness. Man calls it a weakness. God calls it willfulness. So when we lost the definition of sin, we're raising generations of people that wouldn't dare call something sin, even if the Bible does, because they live in a culture that embraces it as okay. Read another article that said there are some major sins that the church in America have started to ignore. Major sins in people's lives that the church no longer says anything about it. First, of co- uh, uh, first and foremost the sin's nature, living together without being married, premarital sex, pornography. Sins of a moral nature that used to be an abomination in the church are now sort of shrugged and accepted as normal, but it's still sin. I'm not here to attack anybody. I'm here to tell you that the Bible stands very firm on the definition of sin. And we're going to look at a definition in just a minute because this chapter in the Bible is in 1 John, if you want to mark it. It's it's before the Bible ends. God includes four chapters from the end, 1, Second, Third John, Jude, and Revelation. He includes this chapter, which I think needs to be a part of our vocabulary. I want to read you the entire chapter. It'll be up on the board. But it's 1 John 1 and 1 through 10. "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled, of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that also you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ." These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we've heard of him, and declaring to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, the translators into English of the Greek and Hebrew Bible decided that was the end of that chapter, and they put chapter 2 there, I don't have it up on the board, but I want to read you the next two verses because they go hand in hand with what is being said. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Back to those sins that the church has kind of ignored. The second one on that list was the sin of selfishness. The Bible calls that an abominable sin for a Christian, selfishness. It's not about ourselves, it's about others. It's not about building wealth. It's about being a blessing. It's not about serving ourselves or our families. It's about serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about casting our bread upon the water and trusting Him to take care of us. Selfishness is a sin that is often ignored by the church nowadays, even promoted in our culture. Greed is another sin that the Bible plainly defines, plainly calls out as sin, and yet in the church today we don't think much about it when somebody gets so greedy that they become dishonest in order to get rich. The sin of falsehoods. You'd be surprised what is accepted as scripturally accurate today. The Bible has lost a clear definition of what it is because of all the perversion of the Word of God. People accept things because some television preacher said it. They accept things because their denomination accepts it. They accept things to the point that the Pope says there is no hell. Is that so? See, these are sins that the church has started to ignore. But the Bible says that we have sin, and we want to look at our sins. We want to look at a definition of sin. Can I read you what I've written down? Three things that I think is a definition of sin. First of all, it's disobedience to God's Word. In verse 8 of our text, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Sin is disobeying God's Word. You say, well, what does that mean, preacher? That means that the Bible says tithe, and you don't tithe, it's sin. The Bible says attend church, and you don't attend church, it's sin. The Bible says, forgive those who trespass against you and you don't forgive people. It's sin. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not here to attack anybody. I'm putting myself in the same category as I am you this morning. I have sin that I need forgiveness for. If I say I don't, I'm a liar. The Bible said. Disobedience to the Word of God is sin. And it always has been sin and it always will be sin. People say, well, that Bible is archaic. It was for another generation. It was for another time. Thy word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven, the Bible says. And it's true and it's right and it's Holy Spirit inspired and it applies to every generation. Young people, listen to me. Don't let your culture tell you something's not sin that the Bible clearly says is sin. Disobedience to God's word is sin before God. Secondly, unbelief. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Unbelief is sin. That's the sin that sends people to hell. We say today there's a popular saying going around in our culture that all roads lead to heaven. That it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, that every religion has the same validity as every other religion. We have people on the stage of America who listen, who thousands, hundreds of thousands of people listen to, that give you the impression that you can be any kind of religious person you want to and still wind up in heaven. That is not so. Unbelief in Jesus Christ. And His work on Calvary and His redemption of your sins and His substitution for your sin before God is the only thing that ever gets anybody into heaven. No religious belief, no religious tenet, no, no statement of faith ever gets anybody into heaven except Jesus Christ. And unbelief in Jesus Christ is sin. Thirdly, a definition of sin. Sin is not following the light, the knowledge that you know, not doing what you know to do. In other words, when God sends you a message and you don't respond to it, it's sin, because the Bible said, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. The Bible says, if we walk in the light as he's in the light... We have fellowship one with another, but if we walk in the light, if we say we're walking in the light and we're not walking in the light, we're walking in darkness, we don't have fellowship with him. Sin is not doing what you know is right for you to do. And that's real popular in our culture. Well, everybody's doing it. Well, nobody's doing it. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody goes to those old-fashioned churches that still preach on sin. Nobody, Nobody likes to hear that anymore. Joel Osteen has an audience of millions of people around the world, and he says he believes that he's not supposed to use the word sin to his congregation. Here I am using the word sin, and i got empty pews. If I wanted to be popular, I'd probably drop it from my vocabulary because it hurts our feelings. It hurts my feelings to think that I'm not perfect, to think that I'm a sinner before God and that I need a Savior and that daily, on a daily basis, I need cleansing, I need to confess. I won't talk about the remedy in just a minute after we get the definition out of the way so that we'll know that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Thoughts sometimes are sins. Actions are sins. Inactions are sins. When we have an opportunity to do good and don't do it, all of a sudden we got a record. we got a record of disobedience to the light that God has given us in our lives. And so not following the light is a sin. The Bible calls it a weight, a heavy weight. Young man came to a preacher one day and said, "You said sin was a heavy weight. I'm a sinner and I don't feel any weight at all." And the wise preacher said to him, "All right, young man, if you place a 50-pound block on a corpse, would it feel anything?" He said, "No, because it's dead." And I want to tell you something right now: if you can get away with sin and it don't bother you, you're dead. You're dead need to work on that. You're lost. Why? Because Christian people can't get away with sin. It's weight. Hebrews says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Something happened to me years ago. My youth pastor, when I pastored over in Floyd County, my youth pastor worked at Virginia Tech as an engineer. For some reason, I needed to call, Bud, one day, so I called over there. I don't remember what number I dialed, but the sweet little voice says, Admissions? You know, I'm sort of a monkey. I, I said, I've already admitted it. Give me confessions. And she broke up laughing, so I probably took five minutes to get her calmed down. She said, That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. She says, I say admissions all day long. Nobody ever says that. But you know what? Before we can confess it, we got to admit it. Before you can ever confess a sin, you've got to acknowledge that you have it, and there comes the hard part. There comes the difficulty for most of us, is just admitting it. All have sinned, Romans says, 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jonathan Edwards stood. He had dark horn rim, thick glasses he could barely see. He held his manuscript. Up in front of his face, he hadn't eaten or drank anything for almost three days working on that sermon. He held it up, nobody could see his face, and he read that sermon word for word, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And before he was more than 50% of the way through it, people began to cry and to weep, and they began to crawl over the pews to get to the altar to get saved, saying, Brother Edward, stop, stop, you're killing us, and they, they realized that sinners in the hands of an angry God was a warning from God. And that great Welsh revival broke out when Jonathan Edwards read that sinners in the hands of an angry God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we do it on a regular basis. Why? Because we're in the body of flesh. The Bible says, Paul said, The good I want to do, I don't do. The bad I don't want to do, I do. Who shall free me from this body that I'm in? Thanks be to God through Jesus which giveth us the victory. I want you as a church people to live victorious lives, but the one key ingredient on living a victorious life is confession before God because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Back to our text. Don't say you don't have sin. Don't say you don't do wrong. Don't say you don't think wrong. Don't say you don't feel wrong. Don't say you do everything you're supposed to do as a child of God. Because if you do, the Bible says you're a liar. God's not in you. He's not anywhere near you. You make Him a liar because He said you've sinned. Now, what's the remedy? We'll get into that second chapter. Brethren, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But if any man sinned, we have an advocate. What prompted this sermon was my last sermon when I rejoiced the fact that Jesus went back to heaven so that I could have a lawyer so that I could have an advocate. You may not remember last Sunday, but remember how excited I was that I now have representation before God and seeing He ever liveth to make intercessions for them and how Jesus takes up for me when the devil accuses me and I rejoiced over that. That word advocate led me to this scripture. Brethren, I write these things unto you that you'd sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ who's the propitiation for our sins, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation means that he goes between and offers himself as a substitute for my sin. Here's some good news right now out of the Word of God. Psalms 103 says, He has not dealt with us according to our iniquities. God isn't treating you according to your sinner status. Psalms 130 and 3 says, Lord, if you kept a record, none of us would stand. If you kept a record of sin, none of us would stand. No wonder his mercies are new every morning. He probably couldn't stand us if he remembered the sins. And I don't want to say something that I've said before and people look at me like a calf looking at a new gate. God never forgives sin. It's not in His nature. He cannot forgive sin. What God forgives is sinners. The sin has to be paid for. He wouldn't be righteous and He wouldn't be holy if He just looked the other way and forgave the sin. The Bible clearly teaches us that God forgives men of their sins. Listen to this verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How does He make us whole again? How does He make us new again? How does He make us as if we'd never sinned? He applies the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ that covers our sins, and we become covered with the righteousness of Christ. Sin has to be paid for. You'll either let Jesus do it, or you'll do it. Period. Plus nothing. Jesus will either pay for your sins or you'll pay for your sins. If you don't accept Christ as your Savior and you think you can get to heaven without that, one of these days you'll hear these words, Depart from me, I never knew you. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth for the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, the Bible says, as they pay for their sins that they wouldn't let Jesus pay for. But as a Christian, we all sin and come short of the glory of God, and God forgives us of those too and gives us a fresh start every time we pray. Every time we say, Lord, I'm sorry, I blew it. I came short of your glory. I wasn't what you called me to be. I didn't do what you called me to do. And God does not deal with us according to our sins, but he erases them. I love this verse that said he has placed our sins as far as the east is from the west. If I understand anything about this rock we live on, you can go north till you reach North Pole then you start south again. You can go south till you reach the South Pole, and then you start north again. But you can't go east till you reach the East Pole. You can keep going east forever and ever and ever. You can go west forever and ever and ever. There's no meeting point of east and west. And that's how far God has placed our sins away when we confess them. Isn't that good news? Since we're all sinners, that ought to be really good news. Since there's nobody in here that isn't a sinner, if I asked for a show of hands, how many of you are a sinner? You might be like the girl that came to the altar one of the revivals of uh, of James Martin. He was he was preaching to thousands of people and people were getting saved. And a lady came down, and took him by the hand with tears in her eyes, and, and he said, "Pray after me, Lord. I know I'm a no good, hell down sinner." And she just real quiet. And he said, "Ma'am," she said, "I'm not a sinner." He said, well, go sit down then. God only died for sinners. But she wouldn't let go of him. She said, well, I'm not a bad sinner. <laughs> he said, there's no such thing as a good sinner. If you're a sinner, you're at enmity with God. Your sins have separated you from God. You want to be close to God. You feel something in your heart drawing you to God. But you're going to have to admit that you're a no, ba- no good, hell-bound sinner. She said, well, I'm a good sinner then. He said, go sit down but she wouldn't let go. And finally, she broke down and said, Lord, I know I'm a no-good, a no hell-bound sinner. Please save me my sins. And she got doors to save. Brother Martin says she went back a different person, but she first had to admit that she was a sinner. The Bible says he's placed our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. People say God never forgets. Yes, he does. He forgets my sin all the time. I'm not building up a layer of record in heaven. I'm getting them under the blood. So that every day I start fresh and new. Every time I step into the pulpit, I promise you I've just prayed, God, forgive me of my sins and make me a vessel that you can fill up and empty out to the congregation. That doesn't make me better than you. That doesn't make me anything else. It just makes me scared that if I go into the pulpit and I don't have un- and I have unconfessed sin in my life, I'll stutter and stammer, and the sermon won't do anybody any good, including me. Now I won't talk about the results forgiveness of sin. I want to talk about what happens when you get your sins forgiveness. Go back to our text. We have fellowship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says. But you might have fellowship with Him. You know how you fellowship with something that's holy? You become holy. Otherwise, you not enter into the presence of God without holiness you say, preacher, I know I'm not holy. Well, you can't, you can't talk to God. You can't feel God. You can't experience God in your life until you get holy. How do you get holy? You confess your sins, and he cleanses you from unrighteousness, and you can have fellowship with Almighty God. That would been a really good place for an amen. You can have fellowship with Almighty God once you con- c- confess your sin. You can't have it without that. Our fellowship, when we get our sins out can be with the Holy Spirit of God. We can live spiritual lives. We can live victorious lives. God doesn't want to do you any damage. Why does he hate sin so much? Somebody said, why does God hate sin so much? God could do something about sin just like that. What he hates is what it does to the people he loves. That's what God hates about sin. The guilt. And the shame that we carry when we've sinned and not confessed it, the weight that we carry around breaks God's heart. Why? Because He loves us so much. Let's pretend for just a minute. Let me create a scenario for you parents, and maybe you young people can understand it too. You may become parents one of these days. You say, as a parent... I absolutely hate fire. I I don't want fire around me. I don't want it in my furnace. I don't want it in my engine. I don't want anything burning. I just absolutely hate it. That'd be stupid, wouldn't it? But you teach your kids not to play with fire. Do you know why? Because you know what fire can do. You've seen disfigured people that have been burned in a fire. Frank Beamer, my schoolmate that was a coach at Virginia Tech for a number of years, had terrible disfigurement all along the neck, because when we were in school together, him and his brother was in a garage playing with something they shouldn't have been playing with, and it caught fire. And Frank was burned very badly. And every time I look at that scar, I don't hate fire. I hate what it does to the people. I know, and that's why God hates sin so bad. He knows it destroys families. He knows it causes divorces. He knows that it causes estrangement on the part of children. He knows that there are people lying in the gutter this very Sunday that sin has put there. That's why he hates it so much. And that's why he's so willing to forgive it, because he wants that fellowship. And there's another verse in our text, and I want to get to it. The Bible said, our fellowship, one with another. You know what happens when people don't want to come to church? There's It's what they know about themselves that keeps them from fellowshipping with other Christians. It's what they know about themselves that makes us estranged one from another. Why? Because the Bible says when we confess our sins and come under the blood of Jesus Christ, we have fellowship one with another. I like the fellowship of the family, don't you? I like the fellowship of the saints. I love being where people praise God and glorify God. I, I just love it. And I don't ever want to get to a place where I say, well, I don't want to go there. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. They all look down their noses at me. You know what we do sometimes, and this is a honest truth. This is human nature. This is not biblical, but it, it is biblical too. I've got a verse in my mind. But here's what we do. We sometimes flee when nobody's pursuing because of our guilty conscience. The Bible said the wicked flee when no man pursueth." Sometimes we feel so guilty about ourselves that we blame everybody else for the way we feel. Sin is a problem. America does not have a gun problem. It has a sin problem. America does not have a moral problem. It has a sin problem. America doesn't have a political problem. It has a sin problem. We've promoted it. We've embraced it. We've even endorsed it. And it's brought the results that the Bible said it would bring. It's an abomination to any people. We can't do anything about America. We can sure do something about ourselves. We can sure start by admitting that we've sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can start by confessing it to the Lord. You know what confession is? It's a combination of two words, homo legale. Homo means same. Legio means language. Confess means to say the same thing about your sin that God said in 1 John. All have sinned. If we say we have it, we make him a liar. That's what confession is. Lord, you're right. I've sinned. You're right. I dropped the ball. You're right. I didn't pray when I should. You're right. I haven't been studying my Bible. You're right. I haven't been giving to the Lord's Word. You're right, God. I admit it, I I agree, you're right, and the Bible says, and God will forgive us of that sin, let the blood of Jesus cover it, and cleanse us from unrighteousness. (coughs) I told you it was a hard sermon, it was hard for me, because every time I came up with another scripture, it cut me. The Bible said the word of the Lord is quick and sharp and powerful, two-edged sword, and It cut me because I thought, well, what should I have done here? And I didn't. What did I think here? And I shouldn't. The Bible says if we confess, and these worship services are exhilarating. John says they're exciting. John gets up here and dances, and it thrills my heart. I started playing dance music for him while he's up here. I'm glad that he can do something like that. I'm glad that we can feel good about being here. I'm glad we can rejoice together and say amen and hallelujah. I wish sometimes we'd break out into applause more than we do in our church. Why? Just giving the Lord a hand clap of praise. The bottom line is we don't have anything unless we're forgiven of our sins and able to come into his presence. Father, I pray this morning that you might speak to our hearts in a way that Maybe we didn't anticipate when we came here. Maybe we never thought, Lord, that you'd address us so boldly and get involved in our lives so much. We realize, Lord, that you do that because you love us. You want us to confess, and we want to be clean before you. And there's a way we can be. And there hasn't been anything we've done. It's what you've done to bring it about. Sent your son into the world not to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. And, Lord, we know that the sins he paid for on Calvary were not just the sins before we got saved, but they're the sins since we got saved. They're the sins that we do every day. Right now, Lord, in the quietness of this time, would you speak to every one of our hearts? Help us, Lord, not to be ashamed to admit what you've said is true. Not be ashamed to admit to ourselves what we know is true. And ask you to forgive us. Again, thank you for downloading and listening to sermons from First Baptist Narrows. If you have any questions or comments, our contact information are in the notes below. God bless.